0: call her to answer lots of questions. Okay. So last time and the time before that, we've been speaking about this topic of the revelation of Hashem is within the physical world. That's sort of the definition of Hashem revealing himself is through the physical world, through his creation of the physical world, the different things in it, that we can observe them. That is the revelation of him. We talked about different names of Hashem as being revealed, right? That's, they're always associated with something he is doing in the physical world, which is instructing us as to how we are to relate to him. That was the idea of boracious Barah Elohim, that the name follows, the revelation of a name follows the action of the creation. Um, We talked about 10, the number 10, being the process of revelation of one. So it's taking one and turning it into a multiple and in a whole multiple sense so that you get to the number 10. Um, Wait, say that again? Right, the number 10, we said there were 10 Baruch shamars, and the world was created in 10 Ma'amaros, mm-hmm. um, not 10 Baruch shamars. 10 Baruch's phrases of Baruch in the beginning, in that introductory section of Baruch shamar. and there are, that corresponds to the 10 Ma'amaros with, with which the world was created, which is a Mishnah and Avos, and that the number 10 always is a revelation of the number one Because the number one we can't we cannot understand at all. That was a Rebbeinu Bachya This says we don't understand at all the thesis. That's why the Torah starts with number two Because the Torah is here to talk to us <laughs> and to, to reveal Hashem to us and to explain to us How we live in the world and that starts with two because one we can declare one and we can trust in one but at this stage in the development of the world, we do not have an understanding of one, in a real way, because one ashemechad that the din, that the din and the rachamim are one, we can get little corners of, we can get our, our hand on corners of it, but we can't really grasp it, which is why we have two brachos. This we didn't mention, but that's why we have two brachos. we talked about this other times, right? We have dain haemes for bad news, and hatova ha'metiv for very good news. Gemara says, what's the difference between this world and the next world? In this world, you have those two brachos. In the next world, you only have a tova hametiv. In other words, you see everything as Hashem echad; it's all one, and you see that it's all really tov. But in this world, we don't. So we have the Torah starts with the base, berachus, berachus bar Elohim. Only then you can get to a name of Hashem, which is with an aleph and an alokim, right? When Hashem revealed Himself through aleph, through anochi, anochi shemokachat, we all died. Our souls just flew out of us. Is that the word is they blossomed. Our souls blossomed out of us. Right? They bloomed out of us. It's not a. It's not a negative per se. Right? It's just not conducive to living in this world. Living in this world is the revelation of Hashem. Is experiencing the and acknowledging and noticing, and then reflecting back the revelation of Hashem in the physical, and through action in the physical. Okay. So that was kind of the topic, and. Some of the question then over here, and this is important in Baruch Amar because that is the core of Baruch Sha'amar. We're seeing that that's Baruch Shamar v'hayah that's the 10 statements of creation. <laughs> that is the concept we talked about back in Elul Rosh Hashanah time, about, let me just get the door. Um. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't, I just wasn't yeah. thinking. We talked about, <laughs> That we're in Baruch Amar and in these halalukas and in these, all the Pasuket of Zimra, what we're doing is we're looking at the physical world, we're recognizing that Hashem is the true force, right? That we're unlearning fear of any other force and learning fear of God, recognizing how awesome and overwhelming that is, that He is, he is moving mountains, He is moving oceans, He is... You know, forming seas, he is moving the destinies of of nations and all the politics and everything that's happening. This is his hand in action, so that is overwhelming. And the goal is that it will arouse, right? The halacha, you're supposed to sing it in a beautiful tune. The idea of these songs is that they uplift us emotionally and then that has some effect upon us. Right, we talked about that back then, um, about seeing the pleasantness and allowing it to affect us. Okay, so today, I suppose officially the topic is the word olam, world. Um, It's really the moving forward, it's also part of baruch o So we spent a a few weeks really talking about baruch and then baruch Mm she'amar, and then baruch she'amar v'hayah ha'olam baruchu, so now we're really up to Baruch Ose Voracious, but it is a continuation also of the Baruch Shamar Baha'u'llah. Mm-hmm. You'll see there's like kind of two parts over here. Um, and Baruch Ose, Omer V'Ose, I think, is maybe even more accurate. So we've actually moved on to the third major phrase. That's a bigger achievement than I had even realized. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. What I want to start with is, I think, something that we ended with last week, which was Rav Hirsch on Baruch Omar. Actually, hang on a just looking for that. Barak Sha'amar is the introduction to the Hop Sukkah De Zimra, As such, it is intended to show us the proper approach to the recital of all our Tehilos. Remember, Tehilos are songs like the word Hallel and Tehila, like Tehilim. Okay, we also have a principle, this just mirrors that concept that the emotional is valuable. And that the purpose of the emotional, though, is not fulfilled. We've always said the emotional, on its own, it's like a motor. Right. It'll get you somewhere. <laughs> you do have to release the parking brake and you do want to have something steering, okay? <laughs> you want a steering wheel. Because just a motor running on its own is not such a good thing, Some, uh, okay? Yeah. So what we, it's, it's not enough to say, I feel inspired. I sang, and I was uplifted, it's a sad but common mistake, right? I'm seeking spirituality and I feel that I found spirituality through the music, right? It doesn't mean that what the person felt was false. You could feel uplifted and inspired, but it doesn't achieve something unless there's an outcome from it, unless it's turned into something. So that's why Rav Hirsch has this statement, which he really makes about tefillin. Tefillin is a tool for tehillah. Tehillim is a tool for tehillah. It's like an interesting, okay? So. So so in the concept of, of this bracha, when you're specific, mm. you said- So where do you so go, go with times it? times ago, you said, A few weeks ago you said that they actually made beautiful songs. Yeah. Right? So imagine that. It's supposed to be beautiful and uplifting uplifting. and inspiring. And what Rav Hirsch is saying over here is this. He says, so what's our approach to saying these tehillos? They should be inspiring and uplifting, right? It's included by this word baruch, which is repeated over and over again. Like, You want to be ready to say tehillos? You got to focus on Baruch, Baruch, Baruch. I mean, to the extent that really you say it after Brachos, right? But even so, in the very first Tehillah, he says, what's the first Tehillah we ever had? Shiraz Hayam, crossing the Red Sea. And when we crossed the sea, we said, Nora Tehillos. Hashem is awesome in praise. They, so that declaration, that Hashem is Nora Tehillos, it tells us that the outcome of Tehillos should be Yira. Meaning yes it should uplift you but sometimes uplifting You know sometimes what people say uplifts them actually means what makes them feel good Okay there's a kind of uplifting that comes from the recognition that Hashem is so great And that we are attached to Him It's a different kind of feeling good that comes from Yira From Awe And there's a security in that in that fear there is the ultimate security that we talked about quite a lot back in elo so that need, that is what should be the fruit of Tehilos. and not only that but he call, he disc, talks about it in terms of yira that is visible in action meaning that the tahila leads us to have the sense of yira and the yira is true when proven in action Meaning, as Rabbi Goldberg says, I could click, but I won't, right? I'm holding back in some way. There's something I'm not doing because I have yura, or there's something I am doing because I have yura. My obedience to the mitzvos shines a light upon where the yura is holding. If there is a change in my behavior for the better, because Hashem said so, and because I am in awe of him, then I know that the year is real, which means the inspiration is real. Okay. All of our hymns are empty if they are not employed to promote the active service of God in everyday life or to engender awe and obedience of him. All our hymns are empty. All our hymns are empty if they are not employed to promote the active service of God in everyday life. That would be like doing a mitzvah assay or to engender awe and obedience of him, meaning losase, meaning either it's gonna hold you back from what you shouldn't do, okay. Now, elsewhere, in his commentary on Pirkei Avos, the mm-hmm. 10 mamaros <coughs> with which the world is created, this is also something we <coughs> talked about last week, that, that it all depends, with man as the tenth uh, act of creation, the tenth statement of creation, what it tells us of is that is that the whole creation then only culminates with mankind. If man fulfills his great task, then all the world of creation will attain through him the prerequisite for its survival. Then okay, it was all worthwhile, we got to the goal. Hence, with the care that man extends even to the most minute faction of the world entity, in line with his task and duty, meaning even the smallest step in the right direction, right, because he didn't quantify what our, what this obedience or active service of God was, right, we didn't quantify it, why? Because it's not the quantity. <laughs> that's not, meaning the quantity is relevant as compared to yesterday's quantity, perhaps, <laughs> right? That I mean, that's how you're gonna be able to gauge, is there a change? but. But the change itself, the size of the change, is not the main thing. It's the fact that what that change represents is an inner change, and that's huge. Okay, then he makes a contribution not only to his own survival, but that of the whole. Okay, so that's, that's the background. So now what I wanna do, and I think I changed the order here, so. Sorry, the handouts are only in Hebrew this time. It's a little bit short. Last, it wasn't quite last minute because I, I did it last night, not this morning or anything. But it <clears throat> would have been a while to get it all done. Okay, so what I want to start with, it's actually not on the source sheet, is Rav Schwab. Rav Schwab, in talking about the words, Baruch Omer Ve'Ose," Blessed is Hashem who speaks and does. What... We already said Sha'amar v'Hayah Ha'Olam, that in that God's speech is creation. He spoke, the world was. We said Baruch Oseh, voracious. So we had an Omer and we had an Oseh, right? You with me? We had an Omer, we had an Oseh. Both of which are the creation. Okay. So what's Baruch Omer ve oseh <laughs> It's interesting, right? Uh-huh. Is it? It's not Omer v'Hayah Ha'Olam because we had Omer v'Hayah Ha'Olam, and it's not Osef because Okay, so number one is it is the continuous creation of the world, right? Hamachadesh <laughs> It's constantly ongoing. <coughs> Furthermore, Baruch <laughs> Omer v'Oseh Hashem says and does. It's tying them together now. Ose is positive, doing, right? Like a mitzvah's asse. So when we talk about a mitzvah's asse, and this you could contrast it here with Baruch Gozer Umekayim. He makes gezeros, which are typically something a lot stricter or harsher, and he fulfills those too. Okay? So Omer va there's a sweetness implied there. There's a love. In the same way that a mitzvah's ase, you know, there's certain fundamentals, there's an interesting klayakar, which I don't even know if I could remember very accurately at this distance, um, where he talks about the difference between mitzvahs ase and mitzvahs los ase, and he compares it to a marriage, right? So in a marriage, if a person does something that they know their spouse does not like, that's much more destructive than if a person doesn't bring a gift. If the husband doesn't bring flowers home, That's not as bad as if he, like, drops all his laundry all over the floor when he knows she doesn't like it or leaves his dishes on the table or whatever it is that, and he knows that she has an issue with that. Okay, why? Because doing something that you know the other person doesn't like is a greater violation of love. It doesn't, if you don't bring flowers or you don't make someone's favorite dinner, so you didn't add to the total giving of the situation, but at least you didn't take away from it unless they're expecting it for whatever reason. Well, if they're expect, yeah, that could be like a different thing, right? You'd let them down. So that could be. And also on the contrary, sometimes people leave their dishes out. They don't do it on purpose. Right. <laughs> well, that's up to the wife whether she's gonna be upset by that, you know? Personally, it's not my hang up, so it's an easy example. If someone leaves their it, dishes around, I'm used to that. That's just the way it is. And it's my failure for not doing a better You're job. And cleaning. Right. We're working on the clean and green at school and hopefully we'll get that to influence our house as well. But um, there's, there's doing something that is a violation of the love is worse than not contributing. On the other hand, the only way to really build a relationship is by putting in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not enough to say, but I, you, know, you, you know the stories. Oh my gosh, who told me this story? Where did I, I just heard this story. Oh, Rabbi Leff, I heard this from a recording of Rabbi Leff. He says, he like for in re, for real life, like he had a couple come in and the wife is like beside herself and the husband's like, I don't know what's the matter with her, she's always so emotional, right? And she's a, and then finally it comes out, the wife's like, he doesn't love me anymore, okay, whatever. And the husband's like, oh yeah, women, everyone tells me their wives get the same way. And Rabbi Leff says, well, did you yes. ever tell her that you love her? He says, I told her when we got married that I love her. What, I have to keep telling her? (laughs) (laughs) Okay? it's like, well, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it could be. You have to. You have to keep putting in. The ase side, the doing, right? It's true that if you miss out on a chance to do, it's not that you've done damage. In the way, if you've done something that violates the love or the trust. But if you don't do, right, the doing is the expression of the love. That's what acts out and that's what builds the relationship. And the same thing with our mitzvos. There's a side to our mitzvos that are lavin. And violating a lav is a breach of trust and a breach of a relationship. Whereas if someone misses doing an assay, a bitzl assay, there's no punishment for a bitzl assay. You missed, you lost out, okay. But in fact, in building a relationship with Hashem, if someone would never do assays, they have not built any relationship, okay? So in order to build the relationship, that has to be there. It's not enough the los ases, which is why dominance through just, you know, terror doesn't build great relationships, okay? That kind of force is not the way. And Hashem, in fact, did not put us in the world with that force. On the one hand, we try to develop Shemaim, which is awe and fear, and we want that to affect us, and on the other hand, it's always the stance back and forth between the Yira and the Ava, and the Yira and the Ava, because Hashem, by giving us free will, has specifically not put us into a situation of tyranny and force, so that we have to go there, because the whole point is that there's an underlying foundation of love going on, and that's what our our lives are about. Okay, so, that is hinted to in this Baruch Omer Ve'oseh, the positive or sweet side of this relationship, and specifically of Hashem acting to us. It's Baruch Omer V'Oseh, so we're talking about him. So Rav Schwab says, Baruch Omer V'Oseh, he speaks and does, is he makes his word into reality. I mean, similar to the idea of Sha'amar vahaya HaOlam, he said the world will be, and it was, is Omer V'Oseh. Whatever he says, that is the reality. This is an awesome topic when you get to Shmos. See the great thing about Svarim on Shmos is you use them like half the year because either it's before Pesach and you're going into Yetzirah Mitzrayim anyway or it's the Parsha's and they're not at the same time so it's like unbelievable right so you could do this Pesach time. The idea that our Avos did not live to see the fulfillment of Hashem's promises to them in their lifetimes but when Hashem said something, that was reality for them, meaning it is what Hashem says is reality, but for them it was reality now. Mm-hmm. It it's not that they needed more proof or that, Now it's reality, okay? And Hashem says Rashi quotes, and he says to Moshe, "Shmi Hashem lo noddati I didn't let them know my. I didn't. They didn't experience me. They didn't know me as Hashem. Yud hey vav and hey, meaning who was, who is, who always will be, who creates and love, they knew me as because what they saw was something stricter. They didn't see the total fulfillment of all of the creation and all the promises that came. And Hashem says, it's, I miss them. It was nice having people around like that in the world, right? Where like what God said, that, that just is. And, and they were happy with that, right? It's part of the conflict, perhaps, of Avram going to the Akedah was Hashem said (laughs) kibi yekari l'chazara. You're going to have a son, and this is Yitzchak, and this is going to be your continuity, and this is going to be the new world that you are bringing into formation through this nation that will descend from you, from Yitzchak, and then, you know, 36 years later, now kill him, and he hasn't had children, and he hasn't. How could you possibly reconcile those two words of God? It doesn't go together, and if that's the reality, then what have I misunderstood? Have I been wrong all along? Okay, it's one way of understanding the, the test of the Aqeda. All right, so Hashem's ongoing creation, Omer Ve'oseh, in the present tense, is also the ongoing keeping of His promise. The fact that the world is is by itself the fulfillment of his promises. Which is a very encouraging thought. <laughs> sort of like I am therefore I'm thought about. Okay? Right? I am therefore I'm loved. Because the fact of existence itself is the fact that there was an Amira. That's how there's an Asia. And that's how we look at things. Now this following on, this concept of Barksh Amr Vahayah Olam, and this is where we're going with it, is what I want to show you in these sources. Okay, so the first one is Bracious Yodalud Yotes, this is after the war with the four kings and the five kings, and Avram comes and he meets Malkit his ancestor from a few generations back. And Malkit is described as Kohen Lekhel Elyon. Serving Hashem, Kael, the mighty force, El Yon, on high, or possibly the highest force, and Malkitzedek greets him and says, "Vayevarchehu." He he brought him out lechem Vayin, bread and wine, vayevarchehu, and he blessed him Vayomar, and he said, "Baruch Avram leKael Elyon Yon, kone shemayin v'aretz." Blessed is Avram to God on high who owns heaven and earth. Now, this is the first use. I mean, this verse and the verse before where he's described as Kohen, like O'yon, is telling us something about Mokit who is shame, is also telling us something brand new. Hashem was never described as Kel O'yon before. Now, we're used to it. It's in Shemona Esri. Okay? But this is what it's talking about. It wasn't used before. Then... And he could say, Baruch Elyon Asher Gain Okay, this is his term for Hashem. This is how he teaches. Now, if you look at Pasal Chav which I have here a source bez. I'm sorry, they're numbered in Hebrew. I, mean, I don't know why I'm sorry, but they're not one, two. Okay. Vayomer Avram El Melech Now, the King of Sadom comes and says, by the way, you have all of my uh, constituency and all of my money, and I wouldn't mind reestablishing myself this entire and Avram says to the king of Sodom, Harimosi Yodi, I raise my hand, meaning I pledge or I vow, El Hashem Kael El So now, all of a sudden, Avram is using the name of God that Malki Tzedek just gave him. It's very striking. Okay. But he added something. He's using the name What's the difference? Hashem gave shame, you mean? Or the, no. The, that yeah, one. he heard from shame, kel Elyon. Okay, got it. And now he replies with Hashem. Now, he's not replying. But now he, we see him turn to the king of Sodom and talk to him, and all of a sudden the same words are in his mouth, except now he's got the name Hashem attached to it. The name of Yod, Hei, Vav, and Hei is now attached to it, and he says, I won't take even a shoelace or a strap, right? I don't want you to say that you made me rich. Hmm. It's kind of interesting, right? Really, a whole factor by itself. But let's just say, in short, let's see if I can. I um, didn't yeah, bring Rev with me, but I did bring Zacks. Okay, Rev points out, what is this concept of Kale elyon? K'el elyon was what, he, who coined the Kale elyon? That is what shame, as Malkitzedek taught the world. He taught people that Hashem is the most powerful force, Elion, higher than all others. Because people were already worshipping other forces. right? They're worshipping the sun and the moon and the wind and the oceans, fertility forces, whatever it is. And what shame came and said was, you have to realize these forces are there, but there's a God who is more powerful than any of this, and he can control all of it. And that was an important lesson, and yet, we don't see that shame is Avham on Goyim, the way Avraham was, because something actually was missing. On the other hand, he is carrying this torch of knowledge of God, and he hands it over, okay, this is really seriously a different year, he hands it over to Avram, and Avram accepts it. You see, he picks up that name of God and turns around and says it to somebody else. So he is taking up the teaching that he got from Malki and passing it on. And he's integrating it in himself and in his teaching to other people. But the difference is he adds the name Yud, He, Vav, and He. And in fact, we see that, that Avram is, is credited with being the first one to use this name to speak to Hashem and refer to him that he, he's saying Hashem was, is, and always will be. Hashem is the creator of everything. That's what the name yod heh vav and he means, right? He is Kehlel-Yon, the most powerful force. But if you just say that Hashem is the most powerful force, you're leaving open the possibility for people not to, I mean, they could just add that on. You know, the Greeks and the Romans, how'd they get like these huge pantheons of gods? Because wherever they went, it like, didn't bother them to adopt other people's gods. You know, as long as they don't have to erase their own, it's no big deal. They never adopted the Jewish god because you ca- it doesn't coexist. Right. Right? You cannot have the concept together. And that's where shame, on the one hand, was teaching people you're directing yourself in the wrong direction. Avraham came to explicitly tell people there is one god, and he created those forces. He's the most mighty not because there's like all these second-level gods mm-hmm. and he's the top-level god but because he is the one who created everything and continues to control it. Okay, so now there's something that happens again. And the thing is, it's a little less, less striking in the sense that it's not adjacent, right? These two usages are right next to each other. So you can see this torch being passed on. And, and it would be fun sometime to follow the trail of that because that is a very cool, cool learning. In Parakafay, which was this past parsha, I'm sorry, Kaf Aleph, which is the third source here. It says, and this is just before Akedah Yitzchak, "Va'yita eishel biv'er Avram planted a an eishel in Bereshiva. Va'yikras sham Hashem Kel olam. And he called out there in the name of Hashem, Kael Olam. Now, Kael Olam is not the same as Kael El Yon. This is. There is one other place in Tanakh where a similar name is used, and it isn't the same. It's Eloke Olam Hashem, and it's in Navi. This is the only place this name is used. In in Chumash for sure and possibly in all of Tanakh, or we could include this other second place that is similar but not the same. So something changed. And it's something very important, but what is it? And by the way, whatever it is that has changed has been introduced. You see why I said this year is really bad olam, because we've got to understand what the olam is telling us because there's something that Avram is saying differently than what he ever said before and it bridges him to Akedas Yitzchak, which is like Yitzchak becomes an Av, right? There's a whole process here. And it's also different because in every place he lived, it says that he made a mizbeach and called out in the name of Hashem. And over here, it doesn't say he made a mizbeach, it says he made an Eishel and called in the name of Hashem. So something different, there's a different lesson here that seems to be very important to moving him forward to that final what we would call the tenth the tenth test of Avraham. What is an Aishel? That's the we're gonna talk about that and oh, translate okay. it. Okay. But Elyon the, is Elyon means on high on or high highest. And Olam. Olam means word. Right. There's the Al, the on top of kind of concept is similar. Is okay. 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 So what is going on over here? Sorry, that's okay, yeah. So here's Rashi. Eishel, what's an shell? Not a common word. There's one other occurrence of it in, to, in all of Tanakh. Eishel, Ravu Shmuel. Rav and Shmuel um, have, a, have two different opinions on this. Had Omar pardes, the first one, Rav presumably, says it's a pardes, it means an orchard in order to bring forth from it fruits to give to guests as meals and the other one says <laughs> an inn for hosting guests an inn to stay in in which there's a lot of fruit stocked to be able to share and don't get hung up as Ibn Ezra does in fact uh, not that he was hung up on but you know, Ibanezor says, well, it says vayitah, and he planted, so wouldn't that indicate that we would go according to the opinion of Rav, that it's like trees, and is kind of a tree. He says, don't worry about that, there's other places in the Torah where the word vayitah is referring to a tent. When I mean, you're planting a tent, is like setting the stakes in for the tent, so you can't use that as your proof one way or the other. Now, maharal, which is the gurariye, the headline of it is at the bottom of the first page, Hey. And then it's uh, kind of a long Gorari. Gorari asked this question. I'm so glad you came, Shelley. I was thinking, oh, I have this good Gorari. Go mm-hmm. But we're not going to kind of do the whole sorry. thing. You'll have to go back. I figured. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the Gorari is like this in what difference does it make to me if it's a pardes or a pundak? Now that's a funny question. Since when do we go around saying, there's two opinions, <laughs> what difference does it make to me? Okay, no, but he's saying, what difference does it make to me, why? Because Rashi gave the same purpose to each of the answers. Okay, this is based actually on a medrash. This Rav Shmuel goes, this disagreement of Rav and Shmuel goes back even farther into a medrash rabah, which I looked up but did not bring with me. Okay, is he saying that it, which is the it's difference between been, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Nachman. I'm sorry, is, it, is he saying that this has already been addressed? No, he's saying, he's saying, I understand. Rashi's telling me either it's a pardes, either it's an orchard, so that, okay. Let, let's just make a clarification here. The word a stands for achilo, shesia, and lino. Let's go that way, okay? Eating, drinking, and sleeping. In other words, food, drink, and shelter. He's providing food, drink, and shelter for people who pass by. Either he's doing it by planting an orchard, which will serve up a lot of different kinds of fruits, and he will use that to feed people elegantly, or he built an inn and stocked it with lots of fruits, from an orchard probably, okay, (laughs) in order to elegantly serve people who pass by, right? The next Rashi afterward, even explains to us, like, what is all this about? What's the connection between calling out in the name of Hashem? It is through this Eishel, this serving of food, drink, and, and shelter, that God's name is now going to be known as God of all the world. We're going to get to this, okay? Why? Because after they would eat and drink, he would say, give thanks to the one who fed you. We recognize that, we say it to introduce the benching. He said, come, let us thank God that we ate from him. And they were like, didn't you just feed me? And they would say, where do you think I got it from? Okay. And what Maral's saying is, what, what is the difference opinion telling me? Mm-hmm. A difference of opinion as to where he did his shopping? A difference of opinion as to what kind of shelter he, he served people in? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the point of both of them is that he has the fruits to serve to people. So what was this Chazal coming to tell me at Except all? does provide the lina, whereas the doesn't necessarily So the Pardis is described that, that the spreading that. leaves, I'm, I'm not making oh, this up, sleep, that they could like, be underneath. Like oh, he like said to the, I the know, Malachim, I Rest under the shade of the tree, which is no ah, small no, thing right. in the yeah. desert but in Beer right. <laughs> one of my kids, the best lina is his hammock between two right. trees. I think that would be <laughs> better than anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is the Maharal's question, and he's really asking this question also on Rashi, meaning why Chazal want to have this argument. Okay, but like, why did Rashi bring both opinions? If Rashi is bringing an opinion to teach us the pshat, right? Why did he bring us two opinions that bring us to the same shot? Now you understand the question, right? It's not that we go around always saying, why are there two opinions at all? He's saying, I don't understand why there's two opinions and why they're brought here at all. What did I learn differently by the fact that Rashi gave me two opinions? Do I know something different? Not yet. Okay, but Maharal's here to help. Okay, he says, There's actually an awesome lesson hidden in each of the two opinions, and that's why we don't leave them behind. He says, according to the one he kind of switches back and forth between them. But let me not read all of it inside since it's very, very late. All right. Is this on this side? This is this long, long passage here. But and and every detail is worthwhile. He does switch back and forth. He says, what's the difference between planting an orchard and through that providing fruits, and building an inn and through that providing fruits? So one clue is if we go back to the original madrash, which is a machlokas, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Nachman, is the fruits that are used as the examples. Because what does the word fruit mean? Fruit always means that which is born of the original effort, okay? You plant a tree, the tree grows, and only if the tree is fully developed, right, then you get the fruits, and the quality of the fruits is reflective of the health of the tree. Fruits it has to do with, like, bearing children or fruit, right? Meaning it's not, it may be the end goal, but it isn't the process. It's something that comes out of an earlier process. So he is providing fruit to people. The fruit in the orchard is described as, let me go back and remember, as te'enim and anovim, figs and grapes. So he has this orchard, he can give people figs and grapes. What's the fruits of the inn? The fruits of the inn are bread, meat, and wine. I think Maharal only quotes the meat and wine, but I, the the that I looked at it, had also the bread. Wait, the fruit of the inn is? And the inn the is meat, bread, and wine. Meat, bread, and wine. That's what the Medrash says. Okay. Okay, that's, that's, this is the chazal in the background. Okay. What's the difference between those kinds of fruits? So one difference that we have going over here is that fruits that are grapes and figs well, they both have don't take they human right. treating to be ready processing. to eat. It's not processed, right? It's ready to go. So it's reflective of a gift that Hashem gives us but doesn't indicate that we've worked on it. Mm-hmm. Whereas bread, meat, and wine are all things that require a process from the form in which it's given to us. So there's an indication of our effort being shown in that fruit. So that's one difference that we see. Another difference is the concept of an inn and the concept of a pardeis. The concept of a pardes, right? All your esoteric antenna should be quivering because pardes, my goodness, pshat, it's remes, pardes. drash, sod, right? There are three or four chachamim who went into pardes, like into oh. Ghanadin during their lifetime and only one came out. Okay, it's a dangerous place to go perhaps, right? I mean, come on, pardes. Trees, pardes, this is chachma. This is Torah, obviously, or at least chachma put that way. He, he uses Chachmah over here and maybe or maybe not we'll talk about what the difference might be. So what was he teaching the people? Maharal says, one opinion is he was teaching people about Hashem by teaching them Chachmah, knowledge of the existence of God that would correspond to the fruits, the, the figs, and the dates, and the, and the grapes. Or was he teaching them, my sim tovim, how you behave, the things you do to fulfill the will of God? Was it the, the saying, the benching, or was it the knowing that you're thanking God? Right, what, what was the icker of how he was calling out in the name of Hashem here? Through his planting of an A shell. That would be represented by the inn, an inn being a place where you gather people in together. He's the Av Hamon Goyim, he's a person who encompasses all these many nations, brings them in under the wings of the Shechina through their actions by teaching them how to behave and what to do. And there's a significance there because the fruits that are chachma don't reflect our effort. Meaning, God gives wisdom das. We may have to put an effort to understand. That's a different point, but that's not reflected in the pure chachma itself. That might be reflected in Bina or Das, not in the Chochmah. And it's not reflected in those fruits. The fruits don't show the effort of the human. Not only that, they're desserts. What's Maharal says? Kinoa. Hmm. It it's it's a bonus. It's it's frosting. But they do have it's seeds nice. that you can plant yourselves. Yes. And he so talks about the payros of that being that whenever anyone had a question, I just there's like only so much of this Mahara we're gonna be able to touch on because he's it's got a lot of different so detail yeah, points. Really it's good. awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. I wish I had like gotten it started ten minutes earlier because then we could have gone through it in a little more detail. If you want to afterward we could. Um, we could just like read it through consistently, right? But but they're dessert, they're great, they're wonderful, they're delicious, but you don't need them to live on. They're not what keeps you alive, scary, like what? But the mysim tovim, which is reflected in the foods that have set, that have an action to make them ready to eat, those are life-sustaining foods. You could live on those things. Well, and also back to like the type of shelter that's there you have that's it. a, yeah it's a more it's more yeah, of a shelter right. and he says the maisim tovin this is what gives life to our bodies and it's clear from some of what he's saying he's not just talking about life in this world life in the next world is a reward for the body for the maisim tovim it's done right. okay well, like this they're... is the real sustenance for us is the maisim tovim. so what's the ikkar over here they're both important ikarim by the way, he says there's an implication, if he's teaching Chachma, he has to be teaching only greater people. If you're teaching My Toven, that's everyone, it's all-inclusive, that's part of that Av just scooping everyone up, which is also like an awesome thought. Okay, and if you'll think about it deeply, they're both one and the same, so we're definitely not gonna have time to get there, but I will tell you that if you read the end of the essay of Rav Hirsch, over here, on vayita Ta'esha Vayikra B'Shem Hashem Ke'el Olam, I believe that he, in fact, works out the maharal and t- shows you how it's one and the same, which we will have to talk about next week, okay? <laughs> so we'll continue with Hashem next week with this one because I don't want to, I want to continue to finish this idea of olam. We didn't get to that yet. All we did was say, here's the veyitah eishel, right? That he's calling out in the name of Hashem, Kale olam. But we didn't see how planting that eishel or serving people in the eishel specifically educated them that Hashem is Kale olam. That we didn't see, Rashi indicated it, but he didn't explain it. Okay, so we're going to go on to explain it. That's with what the, the Eshel again? Um Either Lina, which is the, the the approach that that Maharal sticks with, <clears throat> excuse me, in this Gourhari, sleeping, meaning shelter in which you could sleep, Oops, like it. <clears throat> or it can also be Levia, meaning escorting, that when you when you walk someone out you are showing them, the, you're showing them that you're happy they were there because you're not so quick to let them go. Even when they're leaving, you wouldn't hold them back. That would not be ni- very nice to like stop a person from going when they're ready to go, right? But at least you walk with them because it's like saying, it's hard for me to let you go, right? So that's true hospitality is even more than in the eating and the drinking is in, the, is in how you say goodbye. Okay. Thank you. And